How's everybody? We welcome you to church. We're glad to see you today. And uh, I'm excited about what we're starting uh, in the book of Ephesians. But uh, first let me just say uh, welcome again to our guests. And welcome to those that are joining us online. Either live or at a future date. And we just went live at our Saltillo campus. Make some noise for those guys over there. You glad you came today? Saltillo, you glad you came today? Tupelo, you glad you came today? All right, good, good. We're starting a brand new series. I'm just going to dive right into it. And um, then I'm going to talk a little bit about the book of Ephesians. If you have your Bibles, please take them and turn to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. And I'm going to read the first three verses. And I'm going to be talking about the name of this series is Ephesians. Healthy Doctrine, Healthy Disciples. And I want to talk today about uh, who God wants you to be. The new you. Now I want to be... I want to qualify that by saying, in Christ, you are new. Already, you're already new in Jesus Christ. When Jesus went to the cross and paid the the penalty for our sins and made it possible that we can know God, when you gave your heart to Christ, whether that was 20 years ago, a year ago, a week ago, or maybe it's going to be even today for somebody, then Christ has made you new. Uh, 2 Corinthians 5, 17, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation, new creature. And so we are new in Jesus Christ. Now, if you are not a Christ follower, and you've not um, invited Jesus Christ into your heart as of yet, today's a good day to come to church because you, you will be able to see the opportunity that affords a believer. All right, so this is a good day for you, and we hope that today will be the day that you give your heart to Jesus Christ. Ephesians chapter 1, beginning with verse number 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, to God's holy people in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who hath blessed us in heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. How many know that that's pretty good? That he has blessed us with all of these blessings, every spiritual blessing in Christ. Now let's pray together and we're going to unpack some of the scripture. Father, thank you again for today. And uh, thank you, God, for what you're doing in our church, through our church. Thank you for what you're doing even in our hearts today. God, we love you, and we give you the praise. We thank you in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. I love North Star because it's a place where everybody's welcome, nobody's perfect, and anything is possible. Amen. And so I like to think of North Star as I was preparing these messages uh, from the the study in the book of Ephesians. I I thought about what Paul was trying to convey to his readers. I I was thinking about what what he was trying to to get across to them. Now, uh, 
what I'm going to do today and what the text uh, is doing today is like a, a flyover, okay? It's like uh, somebody said it's like the book of Ephesians is like a, a, a flyover of the Christian life. I usually don't bring my phone with me because sometimes it will ring and that kind of thing. But um, I, uh, naturally, I've got the latest iPhone, right? Naturally. Okay. Hang with me. I'm going somewhere, okay? Naturally, what about this side? Naturally, I got the latest iPhone, okay? That's just, that's just going to happen, God willing. But I noticed something. Uh, in the in the iPhone, we're always making pictures, right? We're snapping pictures of this. Used to, you'd have to pack your camera uh, before that. Uh, now you can just put a disc in your camera, and before that, you'd have to buy film. Uh, if, if you don't know what I'm talking about, that that's really dating me and you. But um, now it's at our fingertips, right? And so you could just take a picture of anything. This iPhone is crazy. You, you droid people, just bear with me. You'll, uh, you'll get there one day. Um, like, there's slow-mo. I mean, seriously? Slow-mo? Like, I'm going to film you slow-mo. What are you going to do with that? Uh, like, show it at small group tonight or something? I, I don't know. Um, of course, it has video, photo, square. I don't even know what the square one does. But then there's another one that's called Pano. Pano. If you, know, if you don't know what that stands for, that stands for panoramic. And I, like I can actually, I'm, I'm like a, a pro pano. I can do it. Like right, this is how you do it in case you're wondering. I could actually start over here and uh, you follow the instructions. It says, uh, uh, well right now it's saying slow down. Well I haven't got time to spend a lot of time on this so it's not going to be the best picture even though I'm a pro pro. Uh, pano. There we go. All the way to right here. And then what you have is like a panoramic of the house, right? From one curtain to the other. I've got all of you in there. This will be worth some money one day. Well, I know I had a point in pulling my phone. Oh, um, the book of Ephesians. Are you with me? Let me reel you back in. The book of Ephesians is like a pano. It is a panoramic picture of what God wants to do in his church. It's a panoramic picture of the Christian life. That's what the book of Ephesians actually is. Um, John Calvin said, the book of Ephesians is the pristine work of the Apostle Paul. Paul wrote over half the New Testament. John, John Calvin said, Ephesians is the pristine work of the Apostle Paul. Uh, in fact, he, he fell so in love with the book of Ephesians that John Calvin preached 48 different sermons from the book of Ephesians in three years. 48 sermons. It was pretty powerful to him. Spurgeon said, it is the greatest work of divinity in all of the Bible. And so, um, Many people think that like the book of Romans and what I'm giving you today is like a, 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 a flyover, flyover. If the book of Ephesians is like a flyover of the Christian walk, my sermon today is a flyover too, okay? So just hang with me. 
I have some points in here uh, later. Uh, some people think that Romans, which is, I love the book of Romans, 12 chapters. I love it. It's powerful. It's rich. Some people say they, that Paul's greatest work was the book of Romans, chapter, uh, 12 chapters. I personally think it's the book of Ephesians. It's uh, six chapters. And if you have my conditions, six is better than 12. They're both good. But Ephesians would be like the cliff notes of the book of Romans. Now we need to read both of them, right? But the book of Ephesians, six chapters, is, is like a flyover, 30,000 foot look at the Christian life. And it's, it's like the, the cliff notes to the book of Romans. So it's, it would be really crazy and interesting to read the book of Ephesians and to read the book of Romans at, at the same time. And so as, as Paul was writing to Ephesus, the church at Ephesus. Um, Ephesus was a very unique city. It was a harbor city. It was a port city. Uh, it was a very spiritual city. Not spiritual in the, in the Christianity sense, but uh, even though there were many Christians there, it was a very spiritual, mystic city. The people uh, in the city of, of Ephesus, had a, there was a a mixture of different religious beliefs in that place. So as Paul's writing this letter to the church at Ephesus, this is what I know. You might want to put this in your notes. Not only was it written to believers, it was not only written just for believers, but for believers to make a difference in their city. Now this is very, I want that to soak in. It's written not only to believers, but for believers to make a difference in their city. Now, while our area is not a harbor city like New Orleans or, or uh, cities on the West Coast or wherever, God has a special word for us. And through the book of Ephesians, he wants us to read this, not just because it's good reading for a Christian, but he wants us to also make a difference in our city. So Paul was writing uh, with the intention of the believers reading it, right? But he had a bigger vision. He wanted ultimately the letter of Ephesians to be circulated throughout Asia. Little did the people know and the Christians know that the church at Ephesus was going to be a hub of evangelism. Wouldn't it be interesting, wouldn't it be incredible if it were said about North Star that, you know, North Star Church is a hub of evangelism. When I went to the Catch the Vision uh, uh, tour a few weeks ago, just like one week before I left to go to the Philippines, uh, I don't know how I planned things like that, but anyway, I was gone for most of that week to New Orleans and then it was time to go to the Philippines. Um, uh, the the people that, there were, that were there were churches and pastors. They were catching the vision of becoming supporting churches, all right? A, a supporting church. We, we are the sending church. That's why we were the host, um, which I was like, I didn't, I, I didn't, I've been doing ministry for a long time, but I didn't, I didn't have a clue of what was going to go down and what I was supposed to do. But uh, God blessed and it worked out okay. But the whole purpose, we took a, a bus ride one entire day to eight different, out of 27 
points. We went to eight different points and heard from church planters. And so what was supposed to happen, the pastors were to catch the vision of how important it is to be a supporting church, right? I wasn't there to catch that vision because we are already a supporting church. We're a sending church that supports. But you know something? I had a takeaway from, from that conference. I said, Lord, uh, I, you know, part of me didn't want to be there because I knew I was fixing to leave my friends and family and be gone, my church. But I said, God, work through this and help me to, to catch the vision too. Help me to catch a vision. I didn't know what God wanted me to catch, but I want to tell you what God wanted me to catch. As I heard the heart of eight different church planters, Troy being one of them, Troy Goss, I heard the intention, the, I, I heard uh, how intentional they were about building relationships in their city, about uh, having gospel conversations. And you know, God just really burdened my heart that we need to be more intentional of building relationships in our city. And, and so, when I said a moment ago that the letter to the Ephesians, to the people in Ephesus, the church at Ephesus, was not just for believers, but it was for believers to make a difference in their city. And so I said all of that to say that I really believe that God wants us to make an incredible difference in our city. Can I get an amen? I mean, look, I will, if you don't know me very well, I will amen myself. Hello? Amen. And I think I said this last week, uh, when I really, I like interaction and when I really feel like the people are getting it and they're saying amen, they're talking to me, let me tell you something, son, lunchtime comes a lot sooner rather than later. But as a preacher, I've been preaching for a long time. If I don't feel like you're getting it, preachers will just subconsciously just go on and on and on and on. And I know you don't want me to do that. So help me to know that, that you are getting it. So, amen? The, especially at the, the uh, 1050 service, people really want me to understand that they're getting it. Uh, and I'm, I'm good with that. So, as Paul is writing to the church at Ephesus, I told you it was a very spiritual city. It was a very mystical uh, city. The people, the, the believers there had been, and many other people in the city of Ephesus had been worshiping uh, the goddess Diana, little g, goddess Diana. And uh, it was, I mean, that was just really messed up, okay? And to, as you would worship uh, Diana and her counterpart Artemis, the Artemis temple it was considered to be one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. And so as they, would, as they would gather together to worship Diana, she put fear and pressure and bondage uh, on the, these people. And so they believed that they had to, to work for their salvation. They believed that they had to do a lot of good stuff and hope that goddess Diana would somehow pour out her blessings. They called her Lord. Now, here in the city of Ephesus, you have all of these new believers coming, these people coming to Christ, these new believers, and historians tell us that there was a theater in Ephesus. It was an incredible city, but there was a, a theater in Ephesus that would hold 24,000 people. 
Now, this is a long time ago, but historians tell us that the believers and the Christ movement grew exponentially, grew so fast and so big that the Christians were having to meet in that theater that held 24,000 people. Can you imagine back in this day as Paul is writing this letter that he's writing, he wants the letter to be read publicly. Can you imagine it being read in a, such a, uh, a mystical city such as Ephesus? And so 24,000 believers, that just tells you how fast the church was going and that how important it was for Paul to get across to the Ephesian believers, the importance of, of taking their city for Christ. If I could just spend another moment to tell you how important it is for us to take our city and our region for Jesus Christ. It's so paramount, it's so important that we catch the vision that there are people lost without Jesus Christ and that there are people that have never said yes to Christ and it is our responsibility just as it was for the church at Ephesus, it is our responsibility to be the hub, to be the ones that go and share the good news with others. So this is what Paul was doing. Paul was exploring the glory of God that gives the church a new identity. Paul was exploring the glory of God that gives the church a new identity. Now, I began the message today saying that when you got saved, when you gave your heart to Christ, you, you, you became a new person because you're new in Jesus Christ. But as we grow in him, as we experience his glory, as we experience his purpose, his destiny for our life, we discover the new identity that God wants to have for believers. I'm, I'm afraid that churches and, and believers far too long have just gone through the motions. I do not want to be, I'm not going to criticize any other church, but I do not want to be a church that just simply goes through the motions. I don't want to be a church that just, uh, we meet because that's what you do on Sunday. I don't want to be, I don't want to be a church that's, that's mundane and, and half committed I don't want to be a part of a church that doesn't have a vision to reach the lost. And so Paul was trying to do this as he began to share some details about the church uh, at Ephesus. Now, there were four things, four declarations, let's just call them, that Paul made. I want you to write these down. There are four declarations that he makes about, from, from our text and some other scriptures that we're going to read, about who we, who we are in Jesus Christ. First of all, Paul tells us that we have a superior Savior. And you remember the goddess Diana. Uh, not superior. A God, not the God. A little g God, not the God. A little g God, Jesus is the God. Right? And so, as he's writing to the church at Ephesus, he's dealing, with, he's dealing with new converts that are still living in fear and misunderstanding because they were so conditioned uh, to follow the goddess Diana and they, that they con uh, continuously lived in fear, lived in bondage, felt like they had to, to work to get something, felt like they would never know until death came whether or not they were truly saved. And so Paul is writing to them and he says, look, look church, we have a superior Savior. You once worshipped 
Diana. But now you're worshiping the God. Now you're worshiping the Lord, the Savior. Is anybody receiving this today? Amen. Amen. All right, so uh, chapter 1, verse 19. He says, And his incomparable great power for us who believe, he's talking about God, his incomparable great power for us who believe, what power? That same power is the same, that power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule, we have a superior Savior. Far above all rule, what rule? Far above the goddess Diana, far above any other mysticism that was going on in the city of, of Ephesus. We serve a God who is far greater than any of those, above all rule and authority, power and dominion. You feel weak? You've got a superior Savior. You don't think that your marriage is going to make it? You've got a superior Savior. You've got a God who cares for you. Not a false God like little G. Uh, Diana. And every name that is, in, uh, that is invoked, not only in the, this present age, but also in the ones to come. So what he's writing here is to us. We have the same power living in us that raised Jesus from the dead. We have the same power. So, well, I just don't know if, if I'm going to be able to hang on any longer. I'm telling you, you've got, by the power of the Holy Spirit living in you, you have the same power that raised Jesus from the dead living in you. That's a superior Savior. I could, I could stand up here and, and talk and, and get loud and try to be dramatic. How could I improve on that? He is a superior Savior. Church, he is a superior Savior. He is superior to anyone or anything that has ever been. You see, we serve a superior Savior. Did you get that? All right, well, then I'm going to go to the next one. I trust you. Not only do we serve a superior Savior, we have so great a salvation. Whew. You, you want to know what's so great about our salvation? It's how we got it. <laughs> what is so great about our salvation is how we got it. Ephesians chapter 2. Trust me, we're going to come back to some of these verses in the series. But in, in Ephesians chapter 2, it says, For it is by, read, say it with me, for it is by, some of you didn't say it, it is for, for it is by, say it again, it is by grace that you have been saved. Through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God. Did you hear that? It's not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Verse 8 says, not by works, so that no one can boast. Because, okay, first of all, grace is God's riches at Christ's expense. Grace is God giving to us what we do not deserve. Go back. He says, for by grace you have been saved. For by grace, God's riches at Christ's expense, giving to you what you do not deserve. Mercy is he, him, as I've taught, 
many times it's him withholding what we do deserve. Thank God for his mercy. But thank God for his grace. It's God giving to us what we don't deserve. I don't deserve to go to heaven. I don't deserve to be forgiven. I don't deserve to, to have God helping me. But I don't deserve being saved. So you can't earn it. What's so great about it is how you got it. You didn't earn it. And so he's, he's telling the Ephesian believers, he's saying, we have a superior Savior. Never again will the name God and Diana be mentioned in the same sentence again. But not only that, he said, we have such a great salvation. We're saved by grace. Not by works, lest any man should boast. In other words, what that means is, if we could work our way to heaven, we would be boasting all the time. Look at look what I did. Look, what, look, look what, how I've earned this. But you can't earn it. You can't buy it. You can't, you can't earn your way to God. I don't care how good you are. I'm looking at some pretty good people. For the most part. I'm, I've lived a pretty good life. I know that's surprising to some of you because I talk so much about, you know, how I mess, how I mess things up sometimes. But you know, I've lived a pretty good life. But you know what? I would not trust, listen to me, I would not trust the one millisecond of the best that I have ever done to take me to heaven. Because it won't take me to heaven. I, I do need to be good. We should be working for God out of obedience and love. So, well, I think you should sacrifice some too. Well, that's another sermon from another day, but the Bible says obedience is greater than sacrifice. I think we should be working really hard, but we're not working hard to get or to keep our salvation. You keep it, by the way. You keep it the same way you got it. He gave it to you. And he won't take it away. He gave it to you. And, and so it's yours forever. Nobody, the Bible says, shall be able to pluck you from his hand. Uh, you are covered in Christ Jesus. So, uh, Scripture says, for by grace are you saved. Uh, and that's in Christ Jesus. Now, um, I want to read from... The book of Ephesians, chapter 2, and then I'm going to give you the next one. I just want to like preach a little bit with the scripture. This is uh, in the message translation. Ephesians chapter 2, verse number 11. If you don't have the message with you, it's on the screen. So just, just listen as I, as I read. It says, <clears throat> I like how it reads. That's why I chose to read it from the message. He says, don't take any of this for granted. It was only yesterday that you were outsiders to God's ways. Had no idea of any of this. In other words, it, it wasn't long ago, you've not been saved long. You were over there worshiping Diana and living in fear and bondage. He said, it wasn't long. We had no idea of this. Didn't know the first thing about the way God works. Hadn't the faintest idea of Christ. You knew nothing of that rich history. In other words, these were Gentiles. They knew very little or nothing about the Jewish people, about how God had worked through the ages uh, leading his people. You didn't know anything. You don't have the rich history of God's covenants and promise of Israel. Hadn't a clue about what God was doing in the world at large. Now, because of Christ dying that death, shedding that blood, 
you were once out of it altogether are in on everything. In other words, Paul was saying, look, uh, we have a, a superior Savior, uh, uh, a salvation that he has given to us, bought by his blood when he went to the cross. Then he says, the Messiah has made things up between us so that we were now together on this. Both non-Jewish outsiders and Jewish insiders. He tore down the wall. Hey, by the way, this is a sermon for another time. Did you know it's the church that solves the ethnic crisis and the ethnic uh, problem in our society? It's not the government. It's not self-help. It's not reforming. It's the church. I just thought you'd want to hear that. He tore down the wall. We used to keep each other at a distance. He repealed the law code that had become so clogged with fine print and, and footnotes that it hindered more than it helped. Then he started over. Instead of continuing with two groups of people separated by centuries of animosity and suspicion, he created a new kind of human being, a fresh start for every man. Hello. The church is not a lecture hall. The church is not a cafeteria, a restaurant where you pick and choose. The church is a place for the hurting. The church is a place for the downtrodden. The, the church is a place where believers can come and fellowship with other believers and, and feel welcome and not fear for their life. Amen, Terry. That was good. Whew. Thanks. I thought so. I talk to myself all the time. Don't get disturbed over this. Christ brought us together through his death on the cross. The cross got us to embrace and that was the end of hostility. Christ came and preached peace to you, outsiders, and peace to us, insiders. He treated us as equals and so made us equals. Through him, we both share the same spirit and have equal access to the Father. That's plain enough, isn't it? You're no longer wandering exiles. This kingdom of faith is, is now your home country. You, no longer, you are no longer strangers or outsiders. You belong here. With as much right to the same, to the, to the name Christian as anyone. God is building a home. God is building a home. He is using us all, irrespective of how we got here, in what he is building. He used the apostles and the prophets for the foundation. Now he's using you, fitting you in brick by brick, stone by stone with Christ Jesus as the cornerstone that holds up all the parts together. We see it taking shape day after day. A holy temple built by God. All of us built into it. A temple in which God is quite at home. You know what? This is his third one. He has put you, not only do we have so great of a salvation and and a superior Savior. He has put us in his family. Amen? I teach in membership class that we are, uh, uh, we're not like a family. We are a family. Now, I have, my family is now like, you really feel old when you're the last one, right? And Marla and I, we're, uh, our parents and grandparents are gone. 
And so as Marla and I, we're looking down at, at our descendants and uh, all that's good. Uh, but you know something? Your spiritual family will far outlast your physical family. I love physical family, especially as the grandkids started coming along. I love it. But you know what? My spiritual family is going to far outlast my physical family, my spiritual family. We're family. We're not like a family. I think one time Paul said we're like one big happy family. But the, the scripture I'm thinking about, I think it's in Ephesians. Go figure. He said we are the family. We're the family. We're family. Now, I know on earth families sometimes have disagreements. I hope that's not the case for you. I hope you're speaking to your family and that you love your family unconditionally. But you know something? Time is so short. God has put us in his family. We're his family. The family of God. Now some of you today may realize that you've never been born again. Jesus told Nicodemus, you must be born again. Maybe some of you have been kicking the tires. Somebody invited you to church. You're not really into God. You're not really into Jesus. You're not really into church. But you're giving it a chance. Good. Good. But you need to be born again. And you can't save yourself. I wouldn't trust all of our goodness to take one person to heaven. It's through the blood of Jesus Christ, the blood that he shed on the cross. He gave his life. They took him down from the cross. They put him in a borrowed tomb. On Friday, Satan thought that he had won. Satan thought that he had, it was, it was done deal, deal over. It was Friday, but guess what? Sunday was coming. And on Sunday morning, Easter Sunday morning, Jesus rose from the dead. That's the gospel, that Jesus died for our sins according to the scriptures and that he rose again on the third day according to the scriptures. That's the gospel message. We have a superior Savior. So great of a salvation. He has put us in his family. And last, Paul said, he establishes where you sit. The Bible says that God the Father is seated on his throne. The Bible says that Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father. Guess what? Sitting is a posture of completion. The Father is seated on the throne. The work has been done. Jesus paid the price. The work has been done. He's seated by the the Father. And guess what? In Christ Jesus, we are seated with Him. That's what it means to be born again, to let Christ wash your sins away. No, you don't deserve it. But in Christ Jesus, Paul was telling the young Gentile Ephesian believers, not only do we have a, a superior Savior, so great a salvation. We are in the family of God. All 24,000 of us plus. 
we end up with Christ. You may have come to the service today and you may not be worshiping the goddess Diana, but you've, you, you've been worshiping something else because you've been putting so many other things in your life before God. It's time to relinquish control of those things and let Christ have his rightful rule in your heart and in your life. We are seated with him. We're set in Christ. Now, what does that mean for us on Monday? That means we don't have to live under the bondage, under fear. We know that, that God's got this. So what about my marriage? I'm struggling. What about my finances? I'm struggling. Give it to him. You, as a believer, you're part of his family. Let him have control. Relinquish. Give it up. Let God have it. Father, thank you. Thank you for the word that teaches us. And thank you, God, for the series that we kind of did an overview of, of the overview today. But God... I just pray that you've touched our hearts, you've spoken to us. And if you realize today that you've never been saved, you've never given your heart to Christ, would you just put your trust in him right now? Just tell him. You can tell him from your heart. The Bible says, whosoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Just, just tell him, God, I know I'm a sinner. I need a Savior. I believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross for my sins and he rose from the grave. I believe that. And today I repent. I turn from my sins and I turn to you, Lord Jesus. Come, live in my heart. I put my trust in you and I follow you today. Maybe as a believer today, your prayer is, Lord Jesus, today, a fresh, a new, I, I recommit my life to you. Or maybe just say, Lord, today it's time that I, I plug in, that I grow deeper, that I serve. I'm going to ask that everyone at both campuses please stand with me because I just want to pray over you as this series kicked off today. And, um, I can't wait till next week as to what God is going to be doing. Let's pray. Father, thank you for today. And thank you, God, for how you are at work. Even when we don't recognize it sometimes, God, we know that you're at work. And so, God, today I just pray that uh, you take these closing moments of worship. God, help us not to feel like we've, just, we've got to rush out of church like be the first ones to the parking lot. God, help us to learn to, to chill. Help us to learn to just um, fellowship with other believers. And God, this closing message and song, you put it on the list today for a reason. Help us to, to tune in, not zone out, but tune in to the message of this song as we worship together. Lord, we love you and we're thankful.
for you being faithful and meeting us here today. God, we love you and thank you in Jesus' name.